Well, that was very kind, Pete. I appreciate all the uh, statements you made. Some of them are lies, but I do appreciate them nonetheless. But uh, uh, there's really uh, no place I'd rather be than to be here at Applegate, uh, worshiping with you and leading now in the teaching of God's word in our worship. Um, it's a thrill to be here, and I count it a privilege and, and an honor. Um, so I take it very seriously. The second uh, most favorite place I'd rather be is on the Rogue River um, because I am a crazy fly fisherman. I was just up in the Sierras fly fishing. So Pete drove across the bridge, and I was like a calf at a new gate. My legs started shaking. I was like, the water's clear. I'm, you know, I'm going to be, if Mike will go get his gear... You're dismissed. You can go now, Mike, if you want to go get your gear and bring me some nymphs and some tippet, and I'm ready to go, you know, so, um, but I live in the Central Valley in California, just about eight hours or so south of of here in a small town of about 10,000 and a farming community, so I may not look like a farmer, but I normally are wearing different kind of gear when I'm farming, Um, but uh, we provide a lot of the stone fruit uh, across the country. Uh, with about 10,000 acres uh, that we farm and berries. So blueberries, if you've had family tree farms, blueberries, if you've gone to Costco and you've seen our jumbos, J-U-M-B-O-Z, that's us. And so I have a privilege of farming blackberries and blueberries and stone fruit and nectarines and you name it. So I've learned farming. So when I was driving out uh, here this morning, I was like, these are my people. Like, we're in farming community. This is good, you know. I think you're growing some other stuff we don't grow in the Central Valley, but I happen to notice a lot of greenhouses, so I don't, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it is a part of stone fruit, but not stone, yeah, too much, too much. We'll, we better get off that topic, uh, but no, I really do uh, take, uh, thank you, it's a privilege to be here, and to the First Lady, Katie, thanks for uh, being here this morning and being a part, I had the privilege of talking with Will this week, just a brief conversation, you know, as prepping to, to attend and be a part of the worship service. You always want to understand what you're walking into as far as how to teach and what to teach and how long to teach, those kinds of things. And he was very generous and loves you and uh, I know Katie does as well. So thank you for, for allowing me to be here. So you ready to get busy? All right. I've hand selected uh, the book of Job. We're going to cover the entire chapter, Job 1. The topic this morning is spiritual ruggedness. Job chapter 1 is what's before us. So take your copy of God's Word and join me in Job chapter 1. I'll be reading out of the ESV. I think that's the version you regularly use. Um, And let me just give you some preface before I read the text on why I've chosen this significant text. There's a number of reasons. Number one, Job is a model for us of what it means to be rugged. He typifies uh, ruggedness. He's tough as nails. And at the same time, he gives us hope in applying this text. He also provides us for an, an explanation, not all the explanations, but an explanation to the question, why do bad things happen to really good people? Third, the New Testament recognizes Job, you may not remember, but James 5.11 says, have you heard of the endurance of Job? Have you heard of the ruggedness, synonym, of Job? So James, the half-brother of Jesus, also said that we should recognize him for this very attribute. So have you heard of the endurance of Job? After this morning, you're going to be able to say, yes, I've 
I've heard it and I've experienced it. Another reason why I've hand-selected this passage is because Job 1 was the first chapter ever written in your Bible. It's not chronologically in your Bible, it's more towards the quarter way into your Bible, you'll find it, but it was the first chapter ever written and inscripturated, and so it's significant. So we're going back about 4,000 years uh, to take a close look at the rough terrain of the gospel of Job. I think it's riveting, I think it's insightful, I think it's applicable for today. And so this is why I've selected it. And finally, the reason why I've selected Job for our consideration this morning is because of a quote from William Cooper. William wrote this, behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. And I do not want us, starting with myself, to waste our trials, to waste our adversity. James said in James 1, 2, count it all joy when you go through various trials. You're about to experience in a single day what happened in the life of Job, and it's astronomical. And his response is Herculean in how he responds. So life is frail. Life is messy, right? We all walk with a limp. Let's be honest as we approach this text. And we're all trying to, you know, get to the point like Psalm 11971 states, where the psalmist wrote, it is good that I was afflicted. That is a hard thing to say. That's probably the hardest thing to say when you utter it for the first time out of your mouth in a serious trial, and you can say, you know what? This trial, this moment, it was good that I was afflicted. And that's where I want us to get to because that's how Job responds. So he's an exemplar for us. And that's why I feel like we ought to take a closer look at Job chapter one. Again, it answers the question, why, does, why do bad things happen to really good people, really God, godly people? Now, we know that there's a number of reasons why we experience trials, right, and adversity. Sometimes because of our own sin. Oftentimes, I think when we go through a trial, that's our first visceral response. Like, hey, I must have done something. I brought this on my life. I brought this on our family, right? And Hebrews chapter 12 provides a solution and answer for that, that sometimes the Lord does chasten us. Sometimes you need a good... So yeah, so sometimes you, have to, you, you need that experience. Another reason is so that you can minister to others. Second Corinthians 1 states that you're going to go through certain things in life that only you could minister through because you've experienced it yourself. And so that is also true in scripture. Another reason is sometimes you need humility, right? Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul got a thorn in the flesh, right? To buffet his body. So the Lord sometimes brings adversity in our lives, hey, to maybe knock us off our edge or take a few edges off or, or to humble us. And then finally, sometimes we're going through trials for a heavenly agenda. We've done nothing wrong. There's no sin in our life. We're clean, pure, righteous, walking in holiness. Not perfect, but walking in holiness. And bang, we get T-boned spiritually. And that's exactly the case before us here in Job chapter one. Also, just a footnote. I personally believe we're living in soft times, right? And soft times produce weak men. And I believe we need to hear 
this this morning. I need to hear this. I'm preaching to myself first. I need to hear this this morning. And I know, as you know, that God whispers in the good times, but he shouts in the hard times. And for every man that can handle uh, wealth, I'll show you a hundred that can handle adversity. And so I want us to consider Job this morning as, as a portico, as an entrance into this passage. I just want to give you the reasons why I selected it for us to consider and lay before you this morning. I think this text is screaming at us this morning. And it's going to teach us what it means to have spiritual ruggedness in your faith. You ready to get busy? Let's read the first 12 verses. We're not going to read the end because the end is kind of climactic and I want to hold it for the last point. So let's just read the first 12 verses just to remind ourselves of this story. You've probably heard it a hundred times, but my goal is to bring out color and principles that I think will, will help us to amend our, our, our lives this morning. So let's read. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a ton of servants. So that this man was literally the greatest of all the people in the East at the time. His sons used to go out and hold a feast in their house of each one of them on their day and they would send and invite their sisters and they would eat and drink with them and when the days of the feast had run their course Job would send and consecrate them he would rise up early in the morning he would then offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all for Job said it may be it's possible that my kids my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts And then there's this little parenthetical phrase. Job did this on a regular basis, continually. So there was a man. Look at verse 6. There was a day. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came in among them. This is a strange scene. We'll deal with that in a second. The Lord said to Satan, hey, where, where are you coming from? Satan answered the Lord, And said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Man, there's none like him on the earth. He's blameless and upright and who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, yeah. Does Job really fear fear God for no reason? Haven't you put a hedge around him, put favor on him, blessed him and his house and, and all that he has and on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and the, his possessions, and you've, you've built his farming land. You've increased the land. Um, but, but you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, okay, deal. Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We'll stop right there. I want to draw out three uh, marks of spiritual ruggedness for us this morning. The first is this. You need to hold fast to your integrity. Hold fast to your integrity. The text begins in verse one by stating there was a man. He's a real man. He's not Superman, but he is a man. He's a real man. He's just a man. 
The New Testament writers also confirm that Job was an actual person, as James' commentary makes it very clear that he was a real person. Have you considered the endurance of Job? This man lived in Uz, that's northern Arabia, just adjacent to Midian. Midian's where Moses, remember he had 40 years of kind of silent and schooling by God, directly by God. It's right in that particular region. So it's kind of desert climate going up into hills and into low hills and mountains, similar to uh, maybe an agrarian culture like you're experiencing even here. So you have the farmlands and then going right up into uh, the mountains. So plentiful pastures, uh, lots of success. You can tell by uh, the description of his wealth, it's all agrarian, his oxen, and we'll talk about those things in a second. So let's just say this, life was good in us. I mean, he's crushing it. I mean, he's fantastic. He's a great leader. He's a great businessman. Um, but let's just look a little bit closer at his reputation and kind of his resume and kind of set the record uh, straight. Because some people might presume that Job is about to suffer the worst day of his life because of something he has done. So verse one says, no, there's nothing he's done. He's a godly man. And then God says it later in chapter one, as he's talking to Satan, have you considered the character of Job? But check this out. Go to two Verse nine, his wife, who knows us best when you're married? Who knows you best? Your wife. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? That's my principle. His own wife knew he had integrity. So Job said, hey, I was as righteous as I possibly could be. God says he's a righteous guy, a godly guy. Now his wife confirms. So that's a threefold witness, right? what you want, Matthew 18, a threefold witness is this guy has a godly reputation. So I would say he's a spiritual man. Now, how do you know? Because the text says it there in verse one, he was blameless and upright. Well, how did he get there? He feared God and he turned away from evil. See the connections, they're just descriptors, right? He had moral integrity. Uh, he, he, he wasn't impeachable, right? He had a blemish-free character, He had his integrity intact. So he was blameless and he was upright. It means righteous. He was a righteous dude, right? Doesn't mean he was sinless. Like anybody in this situation, you're gonna keep short sin accounts, right? You breathe in, you sin, you breathe out, you exhale the sin and you breathe in the grace of God and you keep short sin accounts. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he wasn't Superman, I just want you to know that. He's just like you. He was just a man. But what you have to note is this. This is pre-Bible. This is pre-Sunday school, pre-small groups and homes. He didn't have any of that. The Bible, this is the first chapter ever written in scripture right in front of you. So he didn't have anything. He's just in tune and fearing God and keeping himself clean. He's keeping himself upright, the text says, keeping in step with God. And he kept a straight and narrow path. That's what he did. And he did so because he feared God, right? That explains it. He had a healthy fear of God and he hated evil and he just kind of avoided all the sin that he could possibly avoid. You cannot leave verse one without confirming that he was a godly guy. So what's about to happen in Job one has nothing to do with something he has personally done secretly, publicly, Nothing. There's no scandal here. There's nothing salacious in this passage at all. And so we know from his resume 
that he, he held fast to his integrity. So he was a spiritual man. Second thing we note about him is he was a wealthy man. He was a serial entrepreneur. Let's look at the descriptor. 7,000 sheep. Well, what would you do with 7,000 sheep? You'd have a fine clothing business. So he ran kind of the Armani or for us farmers, Ariat of, of farming, right? Like he had all the wool. He made the finest garments. So he had a pretty, you know, healthy uh, business going, 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. Well, that would be a healthy transportation business. And in farming, you know, there's supply chain and there's all kinds of things. So you have to move that product and you have to take care of all that. So he had 3,000 camels, um, kind of a strong in, in industry there. He had 500 yoke of oxen, so he had to plow the food. If you add it all up, he was feeding about 9,000 miles a day, so he had to be self-sustaining, right, in his farming, so he had to feed the people who came and dutifully worked for him that would create this kind of wealth. And then you notice in the text, look at it, 500 female donkeys. You're like, now that's a problem. I don't know, any of you own any donkeys? Like, I mean, like, that's not like a prize. Well, it was. See, 500 female donkeys, um, they loved warm donkey milk. It was Starbucks. He owned Starbucks um, in, in, in that time. He, they loved that. That was a delicacy. That was a drink. And so they loved the milk. So I walked to Starbucks this morning because people wouldn't pick me up. And I walked across the street. I was trying to bring that out. And I walked across the street, went to Starbucks, got a cup of coffee, just simple, you know, blonde roast, got the most caffeine, I need a little punch, let's go, we're going to preach. So that's, that's what they were doing, so that was just an indication, so just to show you that he's kind of a serial entrepreneur, so he understood supply chain, he understood clothing, he understood, uh, you know, the coffee supply chain, I mean, he was the man, and that's what all that's in there for. So you see that he was a serial entrepreneur. He was a godly man. And third, as we kind of wrap up those first five verses, understanding he held fast to his integrity, he, um, he was a family man. He was a family man. And as you notice towards the end, so the picture is this, everybody on their anniversary. So it was either birthday or anniversary, they had a party. And then they're like family reunions. And all of us have gone to our family reunions, right? And crazy uncle, you gotta, I spend most of my time leaving, explaining to my kids about Uncle Buck. Why does Uncle Buck look like that? Why does Uncle Buck say things like that? Why does Uncle Buck do things? Like we all have vice in our family. Let's just be, come on, we can be honest, right? Like we're, it's us, we're Applegate. Like we're here, like relax. So <clears throat> it was a family reunion. They're hanging out, they're all getting together. Later they're gonna say they're drinking wine. And so Job is just concerned that the 10 kids would go off the rails, right? Um, and they would sin. And what's so crazy is what he would do is he'd get up the next morning, he would expiate, he would offer a sacrifice. This is pre-sacrificial system though. That's what's so crazy about it. He just knew from his close walk with the Lord, he needed, to, he needed a peace. He said, I just don't want my kids to curse God and do something stupid. Modern parenting, right? It's all of us. It's, it's equivalent to you, dad or mom, going into your kid's room maybe late at night and you pray over them, right? You lay hands on them, I do, and I say, Lord, keep my boys from doing stupid stuff. And they do stupid stuff regularly. Most recently, you know, uh, we'd gone out to the movies. It was raining. And um, we called back because they were going to grill hot dogs. And I called back. I thought, hey, you know, how are you guys grilling hot dogs? I said, call back. And I said, you guys, you know, we're grilling hot dogs. I said, in the rain? They said, oh, no, we bought the gas grill in the house. 
to which, you know, I did a quick turn on my truck, you know, headed back home because Dumb and Dumber, you know, thought it would be smart to bring the grill in the house. And I know the alarms are going to go off. Fire department's going to be there soon. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, so, you know, they, our kids do stupid stuff. Like, that's just, you know, just not on Facebook, you know. Most people, when they put their kids on Facebook, you know, I went skydiving today. I did all these things. And you're sitting home on Saturday morning going, I, I got to mow. Like, my kids don't do anything cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just all this tension. So anyway, you get it. Job has the same feeling. He's just being a dutiful father. So what he is, is he's this godly man, serial entrepreneur, and really a great dad. He just wanted to cover his kids' sin if, in fact, they would actually sin. And I believe, probably in his heart, he could quote like Joshua did for me in my house. We're going to serve the Lord. That's just who he was. And I want you to have all of that And I want you to feel that because there's no reason for him bringing this on himself. He's clearly a rock. And then it says there's nobody better than him in all of the East. Like he is a titan. He's a world-class leader. I mean, he's done some stuff, right? He's got a legacy. Um, He, I mean, it's just crazy how good he actually is and how exemplary he is. And that's why I'm commending him uh, to us this morning. So principle number one from verses one to six is this. If you're gonna be spiritually rugged, and you should be, that is the calling on all of us, you have to hold fast to your integrity. It is absolutely critical. Character is king in the Christian life. And you need to work hard at your your integrity. And you'll build a life of integrity and you can lose it in a single moment. And so Job was fearful of that. You should have this kind of gnawing fear. I don't wanna do anything that disqualifies me. I don't wanna do anything that would would uh, impeach my, my character, right? I don't want to do anything that, I don't want to be in the news. I don't want to be any, I don't want any of it, right? And so first principle for spiritual ruggedness is hold fast to your integrity. Second principle, hold fast to your theology. Hold fast to your theology. Now, there was a man, the text says, verse one, and then in verse six, did you notice the scene change? There was a day, The scene goes from earth, from Midian to heaven. And it is a strange scene because the angels are coming in to report. They're out doing their duties. But who comes with them? Satan. The filthy devil is in the holy of holies in the presence of God, also going to report on all the believers' failures. And so there was a man, and then as the text changes, the narrative changes, there was a day, and you're ushered into heaven. And honestly, there's very few glimpses like that where the the throne room of heaven is kind of opened up, and you get to this morning kind of look in and say, what's going on back there? Like, what are they doing back there, right? Now, keep in mind, Job has no... No awareness of what's going on. He doesn't know about this conversation. You're reading it back in history, back in time. He's living it in the moment. It's a single day in in Job's life. And so the angelic host come, Satan comes. It's such a crazy, odd scene. And and the word Satan there means adversary. We know later uh, in the book of Revelation 12, I think Bob's been going through the book of Revelation, um, you know that he's a slanderer. And so when the angels come in and say, man, you know, you know, this guy's killing it. Satan's coming in and saying, yeah, but he, you know, he yelled at his wife this week or whatever. Like there's always something and he's tempting. He's, he has a plan for your life, just like God has a plan for your life. And he's destructive. And this destruction is is laid out before you this morning. All right. And so 
What I want you to see, though, is who initiates the conversation. Look what it says. He says, for where have you been? Where have you come from? The Lord said, where have you, you come from? Now, the Lord's omniscient, right? He knows exactly where he's from. Who's he asking the question for? He's asking it for you. He's asking it for me. You need to know that what Satan's up to, that he's real, and he's really trying to destroy people's lives. And so God asked Satan a question, hey, where you been? Not because he didn't know. He's asking it so you would see. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm running all around the world looking for believers in sin and, and looking for ways to kill and destroy, right? Isn't that similar to 1 Peter 5? The devil goes about what? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You're being hunted. That's the point. God says, you need to know from the very first chapter ever written that you have a real adversary and you're really being hunted. And then God does another initiation. He initiates the challenge. Hey, have you, uh, have you considered Job? Or could it be said of us? Have you considered Dan or Bob or Mark, have you considered these guys? Like, they've got such character. You put it to them, they're not going to fold. And what Satan says is, no, they're like a house of cards. It's because you blessed them. You put the hedge about them, like Psalm 139 states that you're hedged about behind and before. You put a hedge about them, you blessed them, you've helped his businesses, you've let the sun shine on his crops. I mean, it's a bumper year for the crops. Everything's great for Job. Why wouldn't he worship you? If you take all that away, he will curse you to your face. And so God says, no, I'll take that challenge. I'll put my man Job. Job doesn't know anything that's going on. I'll put my man Job up against your fallacious argument that it's not true saving faith. The devil's saying it's not true saving faith. It doesn't abide. It can't withstand the, the difficulty. And I'm telling you, you are built for adversity when you are in Christ. And you have the spirit of God in you. And you have the word of God in your lap. You are made for this. That's basically what God's saying. He will not cave. You put it to him. And he says, you can put it to him, everything around him, but you can't touch him physically. As you read on in Job, you know that happens in chapter two. Satan says, I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal. And one of the scariest like verses is right at the end there of, uh, of 12. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Man, he left lickety split. He was running. He was licking his chops. Um, he, 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 he did not believe he would be able to sustain that kind of faith with this kind of tumultuous adversity. And that's why I want to challenge you folks. Don't waste your adversity. You could be going through a trial and a test, not because of anything you've done, but because it's part of heaven's agenda. And he's again saying, hey, have you considered Julie? Have you considered, you know, pick the person in the room. Like, have you considered their character? They're not going to cave. It's true saving faith. And Job's saying, no, he's like a spoiled child. You blessed his socks off. Who wouldn't follow you? And so this, this battle, is, this cosmic battle is happening and working itself out in verses eight and following. And you see why you have to hold fast to your theology. You have to pillow your head on the sovereignty of God. You trust the Lord in the good times and you trust him in the bad times. And so if you're going to be spiritually rugged, you've got to be tough as nails spiritually. You've got to have moxie, right? You've got to be able to ride the rapids. So not only do you have to hold fast to your integrity, you have to hold fast to your theology. 
True saving faith, trust the Lord with all my heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps, right? Third and final principle. This is the big one. You have to hold fast to your worship. You have to hold fast to your integrity. You have to hold fast to your theology. And you have to hold fast to your worship. Look at verse 12, uh, 13. Remember, there was a man. Then there was a day where you were ushered into heaven. And now verse 13, there was a day. Now scene change again. Scene change in the narrative. And now you're back on earth. Now we're a backyard of, of Job. We're back on earth. We got our feet on the ground here. Devil says his faith is a sham. God says, not a chance. Go get him. Put it to him. See what he's got. Right? And therefore, we're introduced to what happens next. Hold fast to your worship. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine. Partying, right? In the oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, so there's a knock at the door. Messenger of doom number one. The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans, these are terrorists, the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow. This is pretty serious, right? I mean, this is, this is amazing. The oxen and donkeys were, were stolen. Sabaean terrorists came in. And he's had basically two of his, you know, the ability to feed and, and the donkey, the, the Starbucks taken out from underneath him. That's crazy. That's a lot. It's a lot. But it continues. Look at the rapidity of it. Verse 14. And there came a messenger, I'm sorry, uh, verse, uh, verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So, fire from heaven, if you're insurance adjuster in here, these are acts of God, right? That's called lightning. So with precision, the devil controls even elements of the weather, with precision he fires lightning and takes out all of, all of the 7,000 sheep. There goes the clothing business, gone, gone. Verse 16. But it keeps going. Look at messenger doom of doom number three, verse 17. Look at it. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups. They made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I have alone escaped to tell you. Whoa, you kidding me. Chaldeans raided, took out, stole all 3,000 camels. So now he's washed up financially. He's got nothing left, right? He's... You know, there's nothing there. And every time this happens, they, they kill all the employees. So it's going to be hard to recruit, you know. It's going to be hard to get new employees when every time you work for Job, not only do they, the entire business is, it caves and implodes, but everybody dies. So it's going to be really hard to recruit world-class leaders to help run your businesses if you're a titan, right? But here's the deal. He's a serial entrepreneur. Some of you are like this. And yes, he lost the business and you've come back and you fought back. And I can imagine Job sitting there thinking, you know what? I'll rebuild. 
And I can imagine him saying, at least I have my family, right? Our family is our our prized possession. At least I have my kids. I have my boys, my seven boys. I've got three awesome daughters. We're just going to rebuild. I've done it before. He's a serial entrepreneur. This is no big deal. We'll just start over, right? We'll, We'll relocate to Texas. There's no state income tax. You know, you know what I'm saying? And we'll just start over. That's what he's thinking. Until messenger of doom number four comes. Do you see the rapidity? Like, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, the, the succession, this is all in a single day. One of, these, one of these cataclysmic events is enough to take out the average person, myself probably included. Just one of you losing you know, your business would be enough to like, you know, cause us to stumble a little bit, like buckle you a little bit, like, man, that is brutal. Look at messenger doom number four. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on all the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Remember I told you it was desert community going into mountains. So warm air hits cold air and you get tornadoes. And you see the tornadic activity, tornadic activity caused by Satan with precision, takes out the house, house collapses, kills all 10 kids. Now, he's lost all of his businesses, and he's standing over 10 fresh graves. I don't know about you, but losing one child is brutal. I can't imagine all 10. And sometimes this happens. You hear stories like or a car accident, and this happens, and it's just like, I don't know about you, but it just kind of... It's just tough, like the man, like, wow, Lord, what are you doing? Like, this is Job. I mean, his wife's sobbing, sobbing. He's he's absolutely bewildered. He doesn't know what's going on. He has no awareness. He's not reading back into the story like you had the privilege this morning. I mean, it, it is the magnitude and the veracity and the intensity. It's it's just it's just amazing. It's dreadful. It really is absolutely dreadful. He doesn't have 1 Peter 5, 13, where it says, hey, you know, don't be surprised at a fiery ordeal. He doesn't have count it all joy. He doesn't have any text. He doesn't have any Bible. He doesn't have nothing. You have a, you have a whole can. You have 66 books of just refreshment and hope over and over again. You can read your Bible and go, whew, okay. He who began a good work in me will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, you've got all these verses that you put on your mirror and in your car and your truck, right? And you see these things. You have, he has not been fortified with any of this. But he holds fast his worship. Look what happens next, and here's the punch. Can you imagine what Satan's thinking right now? Got him. I mean, his goal was to bludgeon him, right? He's got him right where he wants him. He's going to fold like a house of cards. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose. Why did he get up? Because he was on the ground. He was pulverized. It buckled him just like it would buckle you if you found out all your kids were dead. You You would not even, the shock alone would buckle you, right? So he arose He tore his robe, which is in the Old Testament, a a sign of absolute, you know, contrition, right? Absolute contrition. He tore his robe. He then shaved his head because a man's hair was his glory. And 
he was ruined. He was wrecked. And so he saved his head. Now, pause for a second. He doesn't have a Gillette or Harry's. This is, you know, polished metal at best. And somehow, in all of this, he has the composure to shave. Like, I don't know about you, but like, this is like, that'd be tough to do. He probably had a few nicks, you know, probably some blood streaming down. I'm trying to get a mental picture of what he had experienced. Ten fresh graves, all his business has got gone, and he's, he, he then, the text says he, he fell on the ground. It, it buckled him again. And look what the next word is. And worshiped. Wow. You feel that? That's, a, that's magnanimous. Like, he, you just saw what he went through. This is a single day. And the text says he worshiped. He didn't curse God. He didn't say, why has this happened to me? You know, why'd you give my wife? She's crazy. She's back crazy. Why'd you give her to me? You know, she, maybe it's her sin. She, none of it. None of it. He, he worshiped. So you hold fast to your integrity, you hold fast to your theology, and you hold fast to your, your worship. You are built, you are built for crisis. You are built for adversity. You know, they asked C.S. Lewis one time, why do, why do Christians suffer? He says, why shouldn't they? They're the ones that can handle it. You've got the Holy Spirit, you're in Christ, you've got the word of God, you've got examples and exemplars like Job. Doggone it, we're the ones that should go through the fire, right? We're the ones that can handle I pity the ones that don't have any of that who have to go through this life and go through this kind of adversity. And Job is a stud, dude. I, I'm just like... I'm expecting, and I think Satan at this point, kind of picture him, he's off in the corner, you know, picking his tea, smoking menthol, Marlboros, that's what weird people do. You know, and you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just kind of like, you can just picture him with a moor or something, you know, a <laughs> sucker. He's going to cave. Lord what's this? He's going to fall like a house of cards. Nope. Nope. Says he falls down and he worshiped. May that be said of us. I'm not saying you're going to do it perfectly. We've all gone through very difficult things in our lives. My last two years have been the worst in my entire life of 58 years. And, but at the end of the day, you know, Romans 12 is still there. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you give yourself as a living sacrifice. And he did it. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. And for every one person that can handle the wealth in this world, I'll show you a hundred of you guys who can handle it. And come out swinging and fall. Yes, you're wrecked. Yes, you're broken about it. Yes, you're sad. It doesn't take away any of it. But he worshiped. Look what he says next. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return. The Lord loaned me. I like the word loaned. The Lord, the Lord loaned to me everything I have. And then the Lord took it back. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And look at the dismount. You remember the, like the, the Olympics, you know, when they go down the balance beam and they're like flipping, 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 and then there's that last final. That's what this feels like. And he's like, ah! In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with a wrong. How in the world? That's, to me, spiritual ruggedness. That's the kind of word I needed to hear today. That's the kind of word I felt like we all needed to hear today. 
He trusted in God's sovereign plan. And as Spurgeon said, you have to pillow your head every single night on the sovereignty of God. It's the only thing that sometimes makes sense. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure Job ever knew. Right? You may never know why you go through a crisis. It may, until you get to heaven, you, you may never know. Everything, he said, is on loan. I came in this world empty-handed. I leave empty-handed. Job was unsuspecting, yet Job was a man of integrity. He did not stagger at God's hard gifts. See, we always celebrate when his good gifts come, right? But everything, James says, from above is from God. Everything, everything that happens to you, even adversity, comes through the very hand of God. Even Satan had to get permission to do anything to you. It has to go through the very sovereign hand of God. It has to be allowed Sometimes you'll never know. So, I return to James 5, verse 11. Have you heard of the endurance of Job? Now you have. We're informed, all of us. Now we're accountable, right? We're accountable to James 5, James 1, Job 1. And I'm here to commend to you Job. And when you go through adversity, run to Job 1. And run to verses 20, 21, and 22, and watch how he responds. That's the response of a believer. It is true saving faith. You shall endure to the end. Now, as good as Job is, one final comment. As good as Job is, and listen, he's a hero. He's awesome. As good as Job is, Jesus is better. Jesus is a better Job. Job was just a man. It said it. There was a man. Didn't say he was a God. <laughs> he kind of looks like it. Like, man, that guy's like Peyton Manny of Christianity or something, you know, like Brady or something. Like, he's just unbelievable at what he does, right? And he's just a man. And there's only one that's better, and that's Jesus. Sinless sacrifice for our sins. Yeah. Died just for the unjust. Yeah. He, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a transaction that happens and he lays his forgiveness on your sin. What? What? Yeah. He shed his blood so that we might be reconciled to God. God crushed his own son so that you could be sitting here at Applegate Community Church and be forgiven and be washed in the account in the real account of the life of Job. I challenge you with the same challenge I challenge myself. I believe we need spiritual ruggedness. I believe Job is a good model. I believe Jesus is even better. So run to Job to learn as someone who runs the rapids with you. Go to Jesus who's the one that can forgive and bring hope and healing in our darkest hours. Let's pray together. Lord, tough text. I feel it. We all feel it. We're thank you. We're thankful for the example of Job and the endurance of Job and the testing of our faith, James 1 2 says produces endurance. Lord, help us to be like Job, that we rejoice even in your hard gifts.
even when it doesn't make sense, even when we haven't done anything wrong, and there's some kind of heavenly agenda happening in our own families, I pray that you would take this text, embed it in our hearts, and may we never forget it. Thank you for Job, but most of all, thank you for our Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.